folks. How's everybody doing? It's another week here on the Inside Inside Sales Show. I don't know. I've got a little more step, you know, bounce in my step these days. Why is that? Well, it's funny. Why it is is because uh, it's the season for deals. Would you not agree with that? Whether it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you know, uh, holidays, Christmas, you know, Hanukkah. Uh, if you're in countries outside of the U.S., such as Canada or the U.K., uh, you would have Boxing Day. By the way, if you're wondering, that's December 26th. Theoretically, that's when people would go and collect all the boxes. And you got to have holiday for that, of course. And then you got New Year's. I mean, it's the season to be just a buying machine. And I think I reason I'm a little excited is I've got, uh, I've got, I got a new piece of gear, a new piece of kit I just bought last night. And uh, it's interesting because I bought uh, a new camera and a new lens. Uh, not that my other, my other gear is going to weigh, it's, just, it's an additional camera. Because, you know, you can never have enough camera when you're filming these things. Different angles, different, different opportunities. It's great. I may have a problem. Um, but that's made me excited. And I had to, so I'm, I'm, I'm in Ottawa, Canada, for those who don't know. And the only place I could find this camera was in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, because it is sold out everywhere. And Sony, the manufacturer of the camera, has actually suspended production because they just can't find chips anywhere. So uh, I, I, had to, I had to go far and wide to find this camera. That's what I had to do. I am like the dream customer because I just come to you and I'm like, what's your price, baby? Here it is. And I was sharing this with one of my uh, colleagues on my team. And uh, he went through a similar experience recently, not for cameras, but actually for a video board. He just built a new, uh, new and improved gaming machine for himself. And uh, we were we were talking last night about how we just got raped and pillaged and paid full price or more because supply was so short. And uh, and he said, "Yeah, I only had to pay twenty percent more uh, over uh, asking." And I only had to go up one model from what I really wanted to buy uh, to he, he went to a more obviously fancy model um, because that's what was available. So what do all the things have in common? All these things have in common is tech, technology, baby, technology. It can be the bane of your existence. It can suck. It can frustrate the living hell out of you or or technology can actually make you way better, way more competitive, way more compelling, way more persuasive, way more strategic. Think about me with my camera gear. Is my message different than what others out there say? Probably not. Maybe my style is a little different, but the core content you can find on any YouTube Google search. Um, so why my content? Well, I like to think a little bit is the production. How I look and feel differs, makes me more persuasive um, to, to my audience. That doesn't that apply to you, how you behave, how you engage with your prospects, how you recap a conversation, how you present yourself, the insights and the intelligence you know about them, the research that's at your fingertips. And not just you and your selling, but also you and your personal development. You know, how you know that, hey, maybe I am really solid at discovery and at negotiation, but I am kind of weak at prospecting. Or maybe I'm really good at foam, but I'm kind of weak at social. Or maybe my uh, conversion rate from stage to stage to stage uh, isn't where it should be relative to the best in class. Uh, or maybe I'm not the best person on the overall team. I'm on 
but I'm going to use some different tactics and tools and techniques out there and processes, processes to physically make myself better. I mean, candidly, it's no different than what a professional athlete does, right? They have trainers. They have technology, slow motion video, all that kind of stuff. They have best practices. They have doctors and they have, you know, physiotherapists and everything else that tells them how the body should move and, and, and think about golfers, right? How your swing should be, when your hips should go, uh, you, what your placement of your arms should be to get maximum rotation and torque and, and, and everything else. It's a science. It's all technology. It's all processes. So let me bring this full circle. When I took on the job as CRO, you've heard me share with you, I had a few conditions. One of those conditions being that I had a chance to build a revenue ops team. To me, that was a secret. That was like, that's how I'm going to be massively successful. I'm going to get all the technology to uh, implement, to equip myself with a repeatable process to make sure all the reps have all the intelligence uh, that they need to react so they can present themselves better and they can have a higher deal velocity with a bigger deal size and they can become the best freaking reps going because now they're going to earn way more commission and they're going to be so loyal and they're going to attract more people. Revenue ops. And I had that go ahead. Now, here's what I've learned in the process. Revenue ops is a son of a bitch. It's hard. Everybody's got an opinion. I don't like the way the screen looks. I don't like the way this process works. This is really inconvenient for me. There's too much data entry. There's not enough data entry. I don't have enough reports. I don't like the way that report looks. Um, I disagree with the numbers. Uh, or better yet, I as a sales rep, I just never log in to anything because, you know, I'm busy. <sighs> so RevOps is a beast. And here's the fact, the cold, hard truth, folks, you are missing out on an incredible secret weapon, an incredible advantage to you. I had a conversation recently with one of my reps. Now, my rep is a great rep. They're hitting phenomenal numbers. But I said to them, listen, I know you've not signed into X, Y, and Z recently. Now, you're getting away with that because you're hitting your numbers. But have you ever considered how much more your numbers could be and your take-home pay could be if you did utilize this? What you prioritize to do has a direct impact on your success. So I can only preach so much. And eventually, I need to bring in the experts. And that is exactly what I've done. This lad, you're going to like him. He is prolific on LinkedIn, amongst other social channels. That's how I've gotten to know him personally. His name is Eddie Reynolds. He is the CEO, founder of Union Square Consulting. They are a RevOps and Salesforce shop. He's seen it all, done it all, experienced it all. And he's going to come today and basically have asked him if he wouldn't mind enlightening you on how you should be using RevOps and why it's in your best interest and when the, what the mistakes are that you're probably making and what's the best way to get what you really want out of those folks. And maybe he'll share a few of the things. With that said, Eddie, my friend, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to jump into this or dive into this. Uh, and by the way, if you're watching this on video, Eddie's got the best freaking background. It's beautiful. It's all white. It's like an Apple commercial and I am incredibly jealous. So there you have it. Um, okay, so... Eddie, talk to me. You heard my opening rant that was spoken from a personal bias point of view. That's also spoken as a CRO or maybe a head of sales point of view. Uh, you understand where I'm coming from. Uh, you also heard some of the laments and complaints I have about what, what, how some of my reps or some of reps in the industry as a whole actually utilize RevOps. 
What would you correct about what I said? What did, what did I get wrong? What did I get right? What do you want to build upon? You know, bam, bring it, just, just let's open it up. Yeah, there's nothing I would correct about what you would say. I might have a slightly different perspective on utilization of tools, but we'll get into that later. I think like when you invited me to this podcast and you asked me what topic I might want to cover and we narrowed in on how RevOps could help salespeople, I started thinking a lot about that. And I thought about my personal past history, right? So right now I run a company that does RevOps and Salesforce consulting. That's not my background historically. I have spent, I think this is my 20th year in sales. I still spend the majority of my time selling increasingly marketing and doing videos like this, Cl opening deals, closing deals. I was making, you know, I was doing cold prospecting yesterday. This is what I live and breathe. Uh, and I know I don't look old enough to have 20 years experience in sales, but I started like at the beginning of college in commissioned only sales where we had a CRM, a really terrible one that had like a black screen with green text. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I had an Excel sheet that I tried to, tried to create so I could understand all of our products and what features they had because our CRM didn't have it. And this tried to delegate that to our office admin. It's a whole long story. But I think when I think about RevOps and how it can benefit salespeople, ignoring how it can benefit management and the company overall, I think about my personal experience. And I think about how I went from a job working at a Fortune 500 company where I was fortunate enough to be the number one producer in the entire company in my position. Not because I was such a great salesperson, but some things benefited me. And ironically, I had some people that you could call RevOps giving me lists of prospects that were highly, highly targeted. So I could actually dive into that. I started this job and I called a couple of the top reps, the people that were on the leaderboards in the state of Colorado, which is where I was living at the time. And this is a Fortune 500 company with people all across the United States. And I said, what's your secret? What are you doing? And we had 186 different products that we were selling. So they drilled in and they said, this product, this product, and this product is where we're really, really like succeeding. This is how we're upselling this. This is how we're cross-selling this, et cetera, et cetera. And then one of them told me, you've got to talk to this guy named Michael. And I'm like, who's Michael? Michael's this analyst that's off in some dark room somewhere to this day. I don't know where. So somehow I get his phone number and his email address and I reach out to him and I say, can I get a list of our customers that meet this exacting criteria? And he gives this list to me and I start just absolutely crushing it, right? Um, I'm at, I think I finished at 504% of my quota. And it wasn't because I was such an incredible salesperson. It was because my colleagues were calling on customers that had 1% of the opportunity, 1% of the chance in terms of the size of the deal that they could close, in terms of the likelihood and the need for that particular product. And I had this secret weapon because I had a guy who was literally an analyst looking at all the data for me, slicing and dicing it, I would then call down on that list and then I would give him feedback and say, can we refine it even more? And now I have like, if anybody's seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, I have the gold leads, right? And so now most of my colleagues are at 50% of their quota and I'm at 500% without any like, without necessarily working harder or being smarter. So I transitioned from that role into joining a startup as salesperson number one, right? And I think, okay, this is where my heart lies. I studied entrepreneurship in college, and I want to roll up my sleeves and wear a lot of hats, right? Which to this day, I'm not a big fan of. So I get in there, and we've got Salesforce. Um, we've got some other tools. 
Um, this was a Salesforce shop. We were selling a, a product on the Salesforce platform. And so everyone in the company was a Salesforce expert except me. Uh, it was new to me. And all of a sudden, I'm building prospecting lists. I'm uploading them to Salesforce. I'm building my own demo decks. I'm literally implementing the tool that we use to produce contracts. I'm sitting down and I'm trying to help create marketing copy. I'm hammering 20, 30, 40 phone calls a day. Meanwhile, some of my colleagues are saying, why are you calling those folks? Like, that, those are not the easiest people to sell to. And I'm like, I don't know. This is, this is what my boss told me to target. Uh, I was reporting to the CEO. And I go through this entire year. We ran an ad campaign. We got like hundreds and hundreds of leads. Uh, I think we produced about 400 leads in like three days. I think I closed one or two of those leads. And I don't remember what I closed this day. I think I inflated the number on my resume to go with the total value of the contract, not even the annual recurring revenue, but like the total recurring revenue of like $36,000 in a year. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I do not know how to sell software. What is wrong with me? So then I go and I interview at Salesforce and I'm trying to explain to them how I'm going to carry a million dollar quota off the back of closing $36,000 in one year. And that was a difficult sell. I managed to convince them to hire me, and I come in, and all of a sudden, it is a night and day difference. Salesforce, as you would imagine, has all of this stuff worked out. So you walk in on day one, and you have somebody training you on all of the systems and the processes. But more specifically, you have people coming to you and saying, hey, here's this industry SIC code or NIAX code. These are the people that are buying Salesforce. You want to call tech companies because they buy Salesforce. You don't necessarily, like, if you want to call professional services companies, that's going to be much more difficult to sell Salesforce. These are the people within the organizations that make decisions. These are the people within the organizations that influence decisions. Here's your account and territory, which is already defined for you. So now there's no bickering and arguing with people over who covers what account. It's very straight and narrow. You've got all of these analytics provided to you. You've got these dashboards. And then you log into the system and you've got really valuable data at the click of a button, right? You're able to see all of the past history with prospect accounts. With current accounts, you're able to see everything down to like when the invoice was sent and whether or not it was paid. And you have this holistic 360 degree view so that when you're sitting down and thinking, who do I need to call tomorrow? You know the best industries, the best companies, the best individuals, and you have reports to tell you who you've covered and who you haven't so that you can work really, really efficiently through that process. This all of a sudden gives you so much more time in your day to actually spend selling versus doing the admin work or the prep work or the research. And sure enough, I was able to hit my quota and perform in that job. And I wasn't a different person from the previous company. I just had very different tools at my disposal. Okay, so let's stop there for a second. I love what Eddie just said. This hammer at home. He wasn't a different sales rep. His core skills to that point in time were still relatively the same. And yet he's now gone through three different situations where he was like 500% because he found this incredible analyst deep in the bowels of the organization. And then he went to a startup where he's doing everything and just doing what he was kind of told, but with no insight or no intelligence just because the CEO said, you should go after those people. And then he had Salesforce where they had all their processes nailed down. And this is exactly how we sell. And these are all the intelligence uh, facts and insights uh, uh, and revelations that we can give you on your target accounts. Same dude, different successes. What's common here? What's common here was 
the information. I would argue it was the information. And driving the information were the tools. And of course, there's always somebody or a team behind those tools actually actioning that information. It could be you if you're so inclined. Um I mean, for example, going back with Eddie in his first job, he found the analyst and he's, and it was Eddie who said, help me drill down on this information. Can we refine? Can we, can we do the, can we get the gold leads, right? That was Eddie's guidance. He knew as the sales professional, how to shape it and refine it. But he just needed somebody to get that data out of the systems. That's the power of RevOps. Now, Eddie, let me share with you. So we talked about, I want to talk about utilization of tools a little bit. Um, but before we get to that, because utilization of tools is a big thing for me. But before we get to that, I want to make this really powerful to the reps who are listening. What's stopping them? Let's say they have access to all these tools and they're choosing not to leverage them. They're just instead dialing and, and doing the thing because they think they know better. How would you convince them that it's in their own selfish best interests to Invest a little time, get familiar with the tools and all the information that's available to to you so that when you are making those dials, you're quite informed and the conversations you have are way more relevant and pertinent and and, uh, the outcomes are much higher. How would you convince somebody that? I might have a bit of a contrarian view on this. I don't, Do like, I don't like to spend a lot of time thinking about how much and to what percentage people are using tools. I don't really care that, oh, we're only using 1% of Salesforce or this person's logging in or not logging in because it's a means to an end. And I know that I should pitch that because it's what I do. We implement Salesforce for a living. Yep. Of course, we want people to use Salesforce. But ultimately, what we want people to do is to produce revenue. More than that, and part of this, like it's not all about the sales rep. You also have to take into account the organization as well. You want the organization yep. to grow and succeed, right? They do pay you a salary. You do owe the company a little bit to create some institutional knowledge and do what's right for the customer long term and for the company. But if we're only focusing on the sales rep, I would really challenge a sales rep that's not using the system and say, okay, first and foremost, when you're doing prospecting, are you doing it as efficiently as humanly possible? And we're no longer in a scenario where we're only looking at Salesforce. The average sales rep, especially in B2B SaaS, has many, many different tools. You've got Salesforce, you've got vanilla soft, you've got data tools, you've got all of your marketing insights, you've got all of your customer service insights, you've got some finance stuff, who's paying invoices, who's not, are they late? Things that can actually help you as a salesperson to have an informed view of what's going on with your prospect or your customer. Not to mention with existing customers, usage data, right? So if you're picking up the phone and you're calling all of these folks with the same messaging, tell me how you're outperforming. Are you just making more calls than everyone else? Like you just have the gift of gab? I, I, I don't typically see salespeople that are outperforming without doing their research and bringing highly relevant messaging to those prospects. And if you're able to do that outside of Salesforce, then I would challenge the RevOps organization and management to ask, why does this sales rep feel that they are able to have a more efficient and effective process outside of the tools than inside of it? Because those reps should be logging into these tools and seeing a wealth of information. 
Now, the other aspect of it is just training. I mean, as salespeople, we're action-oriented. And so a lot of us will look at things and say, oh, I could do that, but that could take me two, three days to learn, and I give up two or three days of productivity. That's a different scenario. That's where you've got to point to salespeople and say, look at, look at Bob over here. Bob is leveraging the system really well, and here's the value that he's getting out of it, and go ask Bob yourself. That's my viewpoint on it because ultimately you want to use the tools to drive the behavior that is going to produce the results in the organization that you're seeking. And that's why I'm not a big fan of like looking at like, well, how many accounts were touched or how many activities were logged or how many times in a day did this person log into the system? I care about are they producing results? And then as an organization, are we able to work together collaboratively and effectively? So as an example, when I was at Salesforce, there was absolutely no excuse to try to loop someone else into your deal, which happened very often, and say, hey, let me explain this to you over the phone or in a meeting. No, like that information is in Salesforce or I'm not taking the meeting. You would never get a sales engineer to come to a meeting with a prospect without entering that information in the way that they can digest it most efficiently. Okay, so there's so much what you said. I'm taking notes here because I'm smiling inside. Because on one side, you know, you're, you are a contrarian. You're saying, you know, I don't really care how many times you've logged in or whatnot, blah, blah, blah. And then you're saying, but are they producing results? And, you know, are you logging in to get a wealth of information? Because that would then check, that would change how you approach the account and your messaging. Which, at the end of the day, what I'm hearing you say is you, you value outcomes over activity. Amen. Fully agree with you. On that, we're in line. Where I get frustrated as a sales leader is I've, I've convinced the organization, that same organization that's paying your paycheck, to spend a boatload of money in infrastructure tools to give you that intelligence so that you can have better outcomes with less activity because you're more informed and intelligent and you're personalizing your messaging and your approach accordingly. So... That's where it gets into tool, utilization of tools. I fully agree with your point about, you know, it's going to take me two or three days to really master it. And that's when I look at penny wise, pound poor, because you're right. Two or three days, you may not be doing a whole hell of a lot of uh, activity at all. And that may have a small short-term blip on your pipeline. Uh, however, long-term, and by the way, I give you an annual contract. I don't give you a daily or a weekly or a monthly contract. Long-term, you're going to be way more successful. It's like me in sales. When I advise my colleagues around the executive table and I say, yeah, the month didn't live up to what it was supposed to be. But don't worry, because really, what do we care about? I mean, we care about the month, but more importantly, we care about the quarter. And, you know, the rest of the quarter is amazing. It's looking ballers and we're going to have a great quarter. So not to worry. We'll make it up, you know, next month. That's that's the long term view. That's what reps need to do. Well, can I interrupt I you, find, So, yeah, go ahead, please. So first and foremost, you're coming at this from your own perspective, and you're a very tech-oriented, talented, experienced sales leader. I'm also I speaking am. to the masses here where you have a lot of sales leaders that are just – they're hammering on activity levels um, or they're looking at like what percentage of, of Salesforce are we using, how often are people logging in, and, and I just think those are the Agreed. wrong things. I think you and yeah. I are saying the same thing, but what – like what we're ultimately coming to is what is the most effective way to build pipeline as an example? Okay. 
if you have a sales rep that is building more pipeline than everyone else, like let's sit down and ask that person. Let's pretend I'm your RevOps guy and you're the sales leader. Let's both figure out what that person is doing and how we can replicate that across the organization. Now, granted, it is difficult to do that without any data. So if you've got somebody running rogue, like working out of a notepad, then we can't bring any meaningful analytics back to that person to say, hey, you're crushing it. You're at 200% of your quota, but here's how you can be at 300%. So from my point of view, and you're a thousand percent right, and those people who are so focused on the activity annoy the living crap out of me. Tim, but hear me out. I want to represent their partial interest. If you're not having the outcomes then all that's left is you need to approach your prospecting better, more, more intelligently, or it's an, or it is truly is a numbers game. You need to do more, more activity. All right. So if you're only converting at 5%, then you may need to double your activity and hold your conversion rate the same, but then you're finally hitting your numbers. It sucks. Or you can work smarter, not harder, which is kind of where the rev ops thing comes in with all intelligent information. From my point of view, when I took on the job of CRO, one of the things I heard over and over and over again from my reps was, I'm so tired of being held accountable for doing 50, 60, 70, 80 dials a day. I'm not a machine. I'm not a trained monkey. You know, I have skills. Like, you know, that's, that's so 1980. It's bullshit. And I'm like, you're right. It is bullshit. So let's focus on outcomes over activity. But now if that's, and I'm going to give you the tools you need to equip you to have amazing outcomes, but now you don't want to utilize the tools. Hence, I knew we'd get there eventually. Now I'm frustrated because now you're, you're putting me in a tough spot. You don't want to do the activity, but you don't want to utilize the tools to make your outcomes, you know, where they should be. So what does that leave us? You're probably not a good fit for this company. Well, let's drill into this, right? So first and foremost, like the advice that we always give to sales leaders and and, and leaders in general as it comes to the tools is you have to have a minimum set of standards and it has to be a reasonable expectation, which I'm sure that you have and there's still sales reps that can't do it. But we will run into our customers where they want, you know, folks to log 27 data points every time they get off the phone. That's obviously going to fail. But as an example, when I worked at Salesforce, our requirements were you had to have your uh, uh, opportunity pipeline very up to date when it was going to close the dollar amount and some uh, just a few key metrics, specifically your next steps. Right. This enabled management to review the pipeline and to dive in and really help sales reps close deals and drive sales cycles. Separate from that, you would log activities because activities are still important, but then management wouldn't necessarily manage two activities. If you're crushing quota and you're only logging five calls a day, that's great. Clearly, you're doing something right. If you're nowhere near quota and you're logging five calls a day, what are you doing with your day, right? But I think that once you get over that minimum hump, whatever that is, and it's a very reasonable expectation of people, and that's just, that's what you get your salary for. Like you're part of an organization, you're part of a team. Once you get over that hump, then I've got to ask, like, how do we make you more effective, right? There's a lot of factors that go into play. It's not just number of calls goes into number of meetings goes into close rate. It's what's your sales cycle. It's what's your conversion rate from stage to stage to stage. It's what is your average deal size, right? I have personally experienced this multiple times where I have literally just looked at a report and gone, wow, my average deal size is not big enough. Let me try to make my average deal size bigger and somehow magically this just happens just by constantly thinking about it like, wow, I don't need to close more deals if I can increase my average deal size by 25% and then focusing your energy on how do I increase my average deal size by 25%. And when you run the analytics rep by rep, you can see 
okay, this rep is doing too many activities. They're doing 100 activities a day, and the quality of those activities are terrible, and this is why they're not getting any meetings. They're not doing enough activities. They're doing the right amount of activities, and they're getting meetings, but they're not converting meetings into a meaningful pipeline. Or they're doing that, but they're not closing enough. Or they're closing enough, but their deal size isn't large enough. Or they're doing all of that, but the sales cycle is too long. And then as we compare them to their peers and say, look, John, like Jane over here is closing her deals in half the time that you're closing your deals. Let's see how we can help you here. Here's some best practices. Maybe Jane is much better at establishing a mutual evaluation plan with her prospect than, than John is. And John can learn from that. And now all of a sudden, John is closing 10%, 20% more this fiscal year by implementing one single tactic where everything else was great, but the one thing that he could improve the most was brought to him by a combination of RevOps and sales leadership. There's so many places I can go with this one. I, your, your conversation around the pipeline management and how that was so important at Salesforce and what the defined next step was and the how that had to be daily. I literally had that conversation with my entire team this week. Um, and it, by the way, every company goes through this. There's a reason why Salesforce focuses on that because one of the last things we end up doing is maintaining our own data entry uh, on our own you know, next steps and whatnot. We don't have enough conversations, so we're always surprised when we thought the deal was going to close next week, and now it's been pushed out 30 days, et cetera. So you got to do that. That's that's the bare minimum. Um, one of the things that I love about the data, like I, I know I can look at my reps and I can say, here's the data, guys. Here's the data. When you focus on this ICP, you convert way higher than when you focus on this IP, ICP. When you focus on account and defined accounts, so using Eddie's point of going to the analyst and finding out what were the gold leads. When you focus on those, so those use the gold leads usually become your named accounts in an ABM strategy. When you focus on those leads, your deal size more than doubles versus inbound leads. When you build out the buying committee, your deal size doubles again. Then when you only ride one horse to the finish line, because you're going to risk losing it. And I get so many reps are saying, yeah, but you know, I'm going to, I can see in the behaviors that you default to the inbound leads quite often as opposed to targeting your accounts because that's easier because they're coming to you. So those are bad behaviors. All of this is designed to do, it's a two-way street. And this is what, and Eddie started touching a bit on this. Um, one way it's designed, RevOps is there to make you way more successful. It's, it's there to make you a rock star. That's why the company first and foremost invests in it. But the other way, it's it's there to help us in leadership to know who's truly successful and has a long-term plan and future with us and we should develop versus who needs coaching. Maybe you're a B player, but you can be made into an A player versus who is that bottom 20% that probably isn't going to be a success here. Our goal, I want to be really clear in this, is two things. We want you to scale because we want to make more money. And we, second thing is, if you scale, you're going you're gonna to earn more money and we're happy to pay you more money. I want to pay you more money. So that's part of why we invest in RevOps. Now, if you don't utilize the RevOps, what you're sending is a message to everybody saying either you don't believe in yourself or you don't believe in um, the company and their vision um, or you're scared. Or a combination thereof. So 
Anyway, I, you know, I, I don't know what the net net from this is. This is more of an honest come to Jesus conversation. And then when Eddie suggested RevOps, I'm like, oh, dude, we've never talked about this before. And this is this keeps me up at night as a leader because I see these amazing reps and I'm like, did you know that if you were to use, if you could use Gong to re to write your recap emails that includes little sound bites of the key salient points that Gong's going to tell you. So your time is is you're not busy taking notes because Gong's going to give you the salient points, and then you could CC the very important top officer who wasn't at that meeting but knows you have your shit together, and they can listen to the sound bites. And go, yep, that's good. And then later on, you can reach out to them because they would never take a call before. But because you've included them on the CCs, because you gave them the sound bites, because they can see you're talking about the right stuff, because you come across looking like a pro, they'll take your call. And now all of a sudden, you're getting a bigger picture of their strategic goals. And they're going to introduce you to other people in the buying committee to expand the scope of the deal, all because of using the technology. And it's all right there. It's like idiot proof. But let's not let's not put too much on the sales rep here. So like, I want to push back on this and let's put some onus on, on RevOps, right? I think that one of the biggest things that you see in the con public conversation around RevOps is this problem of being too tactical and being too much around systems admin and tools admin and not enough yep. of this. So let's put the onus on RevOps as well to bring tangible insights. So let's take oh, your example brilliant. and let's say, okay, yeah. we go back to our example of John and Jane, okay? And let's say that Jane is crushing her quota and John's not. Now imagine you have this sort of philosophical conversation with John and John's sitting here thinking, hey, that's great, uh, Mr. or Ms. Manager that hasn't carried a bag in 20 years or Mr. or Ms. RevOps person that's never carried a bag in your life. But when you turn that into like a tangible story, it can be different to say, hey, look at Jane. Jane just crushed her quota because she closed this huge deal for 50% of her quota in addition to everything else she closed. And how did she get that deal? She sent this email and this email yes. had really detailed information that she covered in her research or had these, you know, snippets from Gong or what have you. And look at how effective that was. Oh, by the way, take a look at this. Jane is actually logging less activity than you are, but creating double the pipeline. Why is that? Let me give you a tangible example from my past experience. One of the things that we saw at Salesforce consistently because they created the reporting structure around it was calling into power. New sales reps would be afraid to call executives or senior leadership in the organization. So they would call the Salesforce admin. They call like the deliver or the service manager and they wouldn't get big deals because those folks don't have power in the organization to do transformational projects. Another example is that we learned that trying to sell service cloud to customer service managers was a really uphill battle. You call the COO and now you've got buy-in from the executive team. And now this is where you get these big transformational deals. And we were able to see this because they literally created a field in Salesforce on the, on the call activity as to whether or not you were discussing, like speaking to power or speaking with, I don't remember it was, but somebody else in the organization. And you could just see that like top reps were like only five activities today, all calls to power and like bottom reps were 30 activities, zero calls to power. All right. So we're going to wrap this up because Eddie and I could do this all day. A couple things here. 
Eddie's really viewing this as a practitioner and an expert in RevOps, Salesforce, all the tools, all the processes. Again, if you don't believe me, just go to their website, unionsquareconsulting.com, and he goes right into it about sales process optimization, service process optimization, marketing automation, cleansing, integrations, et cetera. And by the way, we didn't talk about integrations. Integrations is a whole nother level on RevOps. Um, where I'm talking at it often as both your advocate, your sales manager, your sales leader, I'm, I'm advocating for you, but also the person who's going to be fired first uh, if we don't hit our numbers. And therefore, I'm using these as tools to make you some more successful, which will make me more successful. Uh, but I'm also representing the company because I'm, I'm an executive officer and that's my job. I have a fiduciary responsibility to them as well as to you. So two different points of view. You, you, the sales rep, are the person in between. You need to understand where RevOps is coming from. You need to understand where your sales manager is coming from. But more than anything, you need to look at the opportunity in front of you. How did this begin? It began with Eddie talking about he found the secret analyst that allowed him to get the gold leads. And that's when he started to clue in was, you know, the power of RevOps, his first kind of foray into this RevOps world. And how are we ending it? We're talking about calling into power and holding RevOps responsible as well as you. It's not just you in sales. He's a thousand percent spot on that. I've done my job. I got the, the money to pay for the eddies of the world and the tools that are out there. Um, you're hopefully doing your job that's part of most of our conversation here today is that we want you as sales professionals to, to leverage this resource and embrace it because it's going to benefit you by understand why we're doing it. But the third leg on that stool is RevOps has to do their job. They need to proactively provide insights and intelligence and observations. For example, in Eddie's example, he talked about we started adding this field. We added a field called talking to power. And then all of a sudden, because of that, they were able to do their analysis and, and understand the impact of talking to power, which then the RevOps people would say, this is a good thing. Look at the results we're getting. Everybody should do the same thing. Lesson learned. And now we can all benefit together. Anyway, there you go. RevOps. It can be the difference between a good year and a freaking incredible year. It can be the difference between an okay career and a freaking amazing career. It's powerful. Too many of you are, are just choosing to ignore it. And I want Eddie to come on here and basically bitch slap you and say, wake up because this is freaking incredible. And it's just waiting for you to happen. So it's just waiting for you to use. That's it. Eddie, best way to get a hold of you, my friend. UnionSquareConsulting.com. My phone number and our email is right on the website. Or you can reach out to me via LinkedIn. And you need to follow him on LinkedIn. This guy is he said he had, he embarrasses me and how active he is versus I'm not. So, uh, but he at least the good thing about him being active is I read his stuff and it forces me to engage in his comments, which kind of keeps me active. So I owe him a big thank you because of that. So there you have it. Folks, we went a little long today. I apologize about that, but the conversation was great. And I think what made the conversation great was that Eddie would consistently say, let me be contrarian. Let me push back. Let me challenge that assertion. And you know what? That's what you should be doing. That's what sales is all about. Challenging the assumptions to get to the right answer. That's Eddie. I'm Daryl. This, my friends, is the Inside Inside Sales Show. You take care.